Amoti lechem in haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech haolam, amotzi lechem in haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen.
How you changed my heart And saved my wounded soul I am not ashamed To speak of your great love How you changed my life And saved my wounded soul Cause when I cried out And called upon your name When I cried out You took away my shame I am not ashamed When I cried out and called upon your name When I cried out, you took away my shame Yes, I am not ashamed Yes, I am not ashamed I'm not ashamed
see everyone again. And uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to the final portion of the book of Genesis uh, for this Sabbath. We're at the portion called Vayeki, which is chapter 47, uh, beginning at verse 28. 
Uh, as I mentioned, this is the very last portion of the book of Genesis. Uh, to recap uh, just a little bit, you know, this, the book tells us all the stories of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This portion is now going to address that Jacob is now going to pass away. And we're going to be left with the sons of Jacob, who eventually will become the tribes of Israel. And they are in Egypt, dwelling in Egypt at this point under the covering of Joseph and what he was able to provide for him, uh, for this. And most of this portion is going to address the subject of blessings, specifically blessings from Jacob. Um, you know, there is an expression in the scripture that curses can last to three and four generations. The judgment of the Lord, you know, he'll punish to the third and fourth generations. That's the power of a curse. However, the power of a blessing extends to a thousand generations. And so the blessings that we hear here and the blessings that we've heard already from the Lord and from Abraham and Isaac, those blessings still remain with us because since the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there has not been a thousand generations yet. So I'm saying to you today, as we, as we said here today, the blessings that we read in here that were previous, the ancient blessings, are still with us. They're still empowered. They're still having the effect uh, that the blessing intended. So with that said, let's look at some of these final blessings of Jacob and how he addresses them. There's some very key principles uh, that we learn about blessings from this portion. Follow along with me as I read now from verse 28, chapter 47. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him and that Israel, then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Two things I want to share with you very briefly about what's here is Jacob is in the process of making what we would traditionally call kind of a last will and testament. He's making his final request, and he has a very specific request, that he does not wish to be buried in the land of Egypt. He wants to be buried back where his uh, fathers are buried, back at Machpelah in Hebron. And Joseph, who, has, who is a man of means and has some ability to carry out such a request, uh, is requested by Jacob to do this. Now, interestingly enough, in ancient archaeological findings that are in the area of the land of Canaan, which became the land of Israel. Fascinatingly, there are multiple accounts, written accounts, of where there was an entourage, a very large entourage of Egyptian officials that traveled into the area we call the land of Israel today. And they were going through, uh, over the course of a couple of months, this process of a funeral procession and burial. 
and it was like a dignitary, and all of the other peoples of the nations actually wrote about it because it was such a prestigious pageantry uh, fanfare event that the Egyptians came out to do. One, it was unique, the Egyptians were in that region. Secondly, that they were doing this big funeral thing. And it all seems to tie back to that Joseph, as the viceroy of Egypt, brought quite an entourage out of Egypt to take his father Jacob, who had been embalmed, and eventually took him to Machpelah, to Hebron, there to bury him with Abraham and Isaac and their wives. Uh, so archaeologically, this event was quite a deal. Uh, that has been, there's plenty of evidence to substantiate it. But the verse that I really want you to specifically look at is verse 31. And he said, swear to me, so he swore to me, then Israel, that's Jacob, bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Um, the, in, the, in, in worship uh, is, in my Bible, is in italics, because in the actual Hebrew text, it's not there. That's a conclusion on the part of the translators that what bowing at the head of the bed meant. Um, let me picture this for you. Here's Joseph, here is Jacob, he's on his bed. Uh, he's come to the end of his life. He's, he's probably, you know, if I was 147 years old, I'd, I'd probably be a little frail. And I think Jacob was as well. He probably needed assistance to move around a lot. He gets up, he purposely stands and then he's, with the support of the bed, or whatever the case, he's at the head of the bed, it's, it's where his world is at, he bows. Who is he bowing to? It's not the Lord. I mean, he worships the Lord all the time. He's bowing to Joseph. Well, and he's just made a request of Joseph. Joseph has sworn to him, and now he bows to Joseph. Why is he bowing to Joseph? Because he's the last person that fulfills the dream that Joseph had. If you recall, the second dream that Joseph had was that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed to him. His brothers had already bowed to him. His mothers had already bowed to him. Jacob was the last. And Jacob, in the last of his strength, bowed to his son in fulfillment of the dream that God gave to Joseph. And so that is recorded for us here so that we can specifically see the evidence of how that dream was fulfilled uh, at this point. So at this point, now we move to chapter 48, and now it came about that after these things that Joseph was told, behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. And when it was told to Joseph, behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength, sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Luz is also another name for Bethel. Bethel, if you remember, that's where Jacob uh, had the dream, made the stone a pillow, and he saw the, uh, Jacob's ladder, you know, those events. That's what he's referring to. God appeared to me at that point and spoke to me, and here's what he said. 
uh, verse 4, And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and you will give, uh, give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting uh, possession. And that's exactly what the Lord did tell to Jacob. And if you remember Jacob's response, if you'll go with me, if you'll keep me alive, if you'll feed me, if you'll, I will, and you bring me back, I will, you will be my God, I will be your servant, you know, and um, which is his, his powerful testimony and in the relationship, personal relationship with the Lord there. Verse, verse 5, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. This is the reason why Ephraim and Manasseh were elevated to the rank of tribes. They were the sons of Joseph, but they were elevated to the rank of Jacob's son and thus became tribes of Israel. Verse 6, but your offspring that is born after them shall be yours. So all of the offspring of Ephraim and Manasseh we call the house of Joseph. And that's the reason why the prophets and the scriptures interchangeably use the house of Joseph in uh, the prophets uh, sometimes when they're talking about the tribe of Ephraim or Manasseh. They're called the house of Joseph. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. So that's the reason why we have a tribe called Ephraim and Manasseh. That's the source of their inheritance of the land. Now, as for me, when I came from Padam, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey. And when there was some distance to go to Ephrath, I buried there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given to me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now, I want you to note, and by the way, this is what, this is what people do when you get to the point where you're aged. When you're coming to that station of life where you pretty much live most of your life. What you have for your life is things that are in your past. And in fact, one of the measures of how you view your life is, do you view your life in terms of what you've done? Or do you view your life in terms of what you want to do? Because if you want to do things, you're, you're a young person. You're still young. You're still growing. You're still proceeding. But when you come to that station of life where what you have done is dominates your every conversation with everyone instead of what you're going to do, well, you're like in the same station of life as Jacob is. And I will just tell you as a basic uh, psychological disposition, uh, I, when I meet people, I pay real close attention to what they want to talk about. Is this person still growing and going and wants to go forward? Or is this person coming to the end of their days and, and they can only talk about things that have happened in the past? This is a very clear example of where Jacob knows he's come to the end of his days and this is how he's relating to his son. This is what I did. This is where I went. This is what the Lord did with me. Here I am. Kind of thing. You, you see that? So that, that's an interesting characteristic to pick up on uh, that is also true of human nature. Uh, amongst ourselves. Uh, let's see, where was I at? Um, he calls for the two sons to come forth. Joseph said to his father, these are my two sons God has given me here. Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Uh, 
Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Wait a minute. Let, let's see. Let's back up for just a second. Didn't it just say that his eyes were dim and he was unable to see? And yet, at this moment, he says, you know, I never thought I would see you again, Joseph, but the Lord has granted me to be able to see your sons. Now, either he can see or he can't see, right? Well, he can see in a different way. And that's what he's trying to explain. I'm not seeing you anymore, son, with my natural eyes, which have grown dim. I now see things about you and your sons, really, that eyes can't see. And it's on the basis of that that he is going to do something rather interesting in this blessing. As we read on, um, he goes on to say, Verse 12, then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. Now Joseph knows he can't see. So Joseph is prepared for his sons to receive a blessing. And the most powerful blessing that comes from Jacob is out of his right hand. This is considered, the right hand is considered the strength of a person. That's the reason why the Bible talks about the right hand of the Lord. The power of the Lord comes from the right hand of the Lord. So he places Manasseh in front of Israel so that when Jacob reaches out, his right hand will be on the firstborn. So that his left hand will be upon Ephraim's head on the secondborn. Joseph specifically positions him knowing Jacob can't see. And so he's positioned it so it's just natural for Jacob to reach out and bless. But instead, what does Jacob uh, do? Verse 14. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. So Jacob does this instead of this. And he's putting the power of the blessing, the strength of the blessing, the one that came from Abraham to Isaac, the one from Isaac to Jacob, and now from Jacob's hand that was through Joseph, that was under Joseph, of Joseph's second born. Now let's do a little reviewing here. This blessing business that has come from father to son, I would remind everyone that it wasn't Abraham's firstborn that got the blessing. It wasn't Ishmael. It was Isaac. It wasn't Isaac's firstborn that got the blessing, which was Esau. It was Jacob. It wasn't Jacob's firstborn that got the blessing, Reuben. It was instead Joseph. It's not Joseph's firstborn. It's instead Ephraim. Do you see a pattern here? Well, this is the pattern that's being discussed in Romans chapter 9. The Apostle Paul teaches us that God's gracious choice is the power of the blessing. 
Why do you think we're called the chosen people? Because God makes a choice. It's not because you're biologically the firstborn. It's not because biologically you have the right DNA that you come down through Jacob. It's, it's, it's not the biologics that determines the blessings of the Lord. It is the Father's gracious choice. And in this case, each of the fathers have been instructed to extend the blessing to prove that it's the Lord's choice, not the natural choice, not the one that you would expect or think would take place. Now, does that mean that firstborns aren't important? No, contrary. The law is filled with all kinds of things, how firstborns are very important. However, what the Lord is trying to demonstrate is that his sovereignty, his authority as the Lord, trumps anything that you think is how the, the world should work. That he is superior to the ways of men, the thinking of men, right down to the DNA. He's even superior to that, even being the creator and created all things such. So he extends this blessing now upon Ephraim. Here's what he says. Um, verse 15, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them. And the names of my father, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. You know who's actually getting this dumped on? This is all on Ephraim. Now, he's, in general terms, it applies to all of the sons, but it's specifically from the right hand being put definitely on Ephraim. Um, a couple of things that we should point out here. The way... Jacob addresses the Lord in verse 15. The, father, the God who is the, of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. We're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac. The God who is a shepherd, who's been a shepherd all of my life. Now, Jacob was a shepherd, right? But God equates himself as a shepherd. And by the way, that's one of the most powerful things that the Messiah said of himself. I am the good shepherd. You know, my sheep follow my voice. So the shepherd is a powerful symbol of the Messiah. So he's specifically homing in on the Messiah when he talks about the shepherd who has been all of my life. Then he goes further. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Now he's had kind of an interesting experience with angels before. Namely, if you remember Jacob wrestled with an angel. And in the course of wrestling with the angel, that angel had to put a blessing on him. And he asked him what was his name. And the angel responded, well, why do you ask that my name is so wonderful? Which, by the way, is another reference back to God, which is another reference back to the Messiah. And in previous teachings, if you've gone through there, one of the conclusions that we make is that we believe that Jacob was wrestling with the Messiah. That's who he was really wrestling with because he specifically said that he had come face to face with God. And the only way a man can come face to face with God is through the work of the Messiah. And thus he called the place Peniel, which means the face of God. 
And we have all of that previous stuff. So he's recounting those things, the testimony that Jacob has had in his life. He's recounting them in these blessings here. Uh, specifically, and he's citing those to go toward Ephraim. He, in fact, what he has specifically said is, I want to see Ephraim specifically have a very powerful relationship with the Messiah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me bring you up to the present age. In the house of Israel, of the two houses of Israel, which house of Israel, the house of Ephraim or the house of Judah, has the most powerful testimony that relates to the Messiah? It would be the house of Ephraim. The house of Judah has some who've come to faith. Praise the Lord. But there's no question about this, that the house of Ephraim, scattered in the nations, has the most powerful testimony of knowing the Messiah above all other tribes and above all other peoples within all of Israel. Guess why that is? Because Jacob blessed him with that. In the Talmud, which is the Jewish writings of the rabbis, there is a day coming when Ephraim will be returning from scattered from the nations and will return to their brother Judah. They, they speak of this. They say in the Talmud that the Jew is to ask Ephraim when he returns, who sent you back? Who sent you to the land? And he will give the name of the Messiah because it will be the Messiah who will be bringing the scattered exiles, specifically B'nai Ephraim, back to the land. Now the Talmud says this. They're anticipating this. Why? On the basis of this. Ephraim is to know the Messiah better than anyone else. And he will have a testimony of the Messiah to his brothers. Namely, Judah when he returns. Even the Talmud recognizes it. So here we are in the modern messianic movement. Let me just take a quick survey. Everybody's known this for all these years. I knew this from the very beginning, but let's go ahead and acknowledge something. Of all the people that are in the messianic movement, how many of them are actually Jews? You know, Jews who... Jews biologically grew up in synagogue, part of the, the Jewish community, and they've come to faith in the Messiah. And how, how many of those are in a very small number? Probably less than 10% in the entire Messianic moment. So who does Israel, who do the people in Israel, the Jews, think these Messianics are? Well, let me tell you what they say quietly under their breath just in reserve circles you know they look a lot like B'nai Ephraim the sons of Ephraim so they know they're not supposed to look like Jews they're not supposed to smell like Jews they're not supposed to talk like Jews they're, they're Ephraim but the one thing that they've got that Judah doesn't have they have this incredible testimony of knowing who the good shepherd is. And the angel that redeems. The messenger of God who redeems mankind. And that's our testimony. As messianics, we know the angel who redeems. We know the good shepherd. And that's the reason why Paul exhorted those outside of Israel to set a good example to provoke 
our Jewish brethren to jealousy, to provoke them to jealousy of, we have discovered the Messiah so that they'll desire the Messiah as well. It's amazing, but it comes, it's embodied, and it comes right out of this blessing from Jacob. I told you this blessing was going to be pretty powerful. So he goes on a little bit further, and he says, And the names of my father Abraham and Isaac, and they may grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now this is one very incredible piece of Hebrew here. Uh, the word multitude, they will grow into a multitude. In the actual Hebrew, it says the following. It says, they will become like the fish of the sea. Now, they translate it, grow into a multitude, like the fish of the sea. What is the symbol amongst B'nai Ephraim that represents their faith in the Messiah? A fish. That they'll become like fish. That symbol, the fish symbol, comes from this. And it's not Jews who run around with the fish symbol. It's B'nai Ephraim that runs around with the fish symbol. That we become like fish. And so the little fish symbol is part of this blessing of Jacob. And that's very telling uh, in a, as a powerful symbol and where it originates from. Verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. He also shall become great. However, his younger brothers shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Did you know that B'nai Ephraim is not just a tribe? B'nai Ephraim is a whole bunch of nations at the same time. That's incredible. No other tribe did that. Judah didn't become multiple nations. Ephraim is to become multiple nations when they return. So that's the reason why when you look around at uh, the Messianic movement in Ephraim, you, you see this diversity. You see this diversity. You see all of the skin colors. You see, you see Asians. You see Oriental uh, peoples. You, you, you see the whole slice of humanity. Because Ephraim is a multitude of nations uh, when they return. Truly in fulfillment of when the Lord said to Abraham that in your seed would all the families of the earth be blessed. Now the blessing was to all of the families. Here's Jacob's blessing specifically on Ephraim extending to multiple nations. Where did we get this idea that this thing was just about Judah? It's the dumbest thing you ever heard in your life. Jacob, I, I can assure you, <laughs> is far superior when it comes to these blessings. And if he says the blessings extend to multitude of nations that belong to him and are considered part of his family, where did we get this idea? No, it just narrowed down to just the Jewish people. That this is just a Jewish Bible. These are just Jewish feasts. This is just, you know, Jewish festivals. Uh, these are just commandments for the Jews. Where in the world did we get that nonsensical teaching? 
because that certainly wasn't the intent of God, and that's certainly not what this blessing is. And by the way, this blessing did not go away as a result of any theology that's been put out by the church or Judaism. We as messianics are living proof of that because we are contrary to what Judaism teaches and contrary to what the church teaches. And that's who we are according to this blessing. Let us proceed. Um, verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land in your fathers. And I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Uh, part of the reason why that's stated is there needs to be a certain measure of uh, reconciliation uh, with, for Joseph um, in, in regard to how the brothers have been done. You remember Joseph um, wasn't around when Jacob was dealing with his other sons and his other sons grew up and they got portions of their inheritance and things were extended to him. Joseph didn't receive any of that. Joseph was in Egypt. And now Joseph is viceroy in Egypt. And so, Joseph, uh, so, so Jacob is specifically referring to giving him an additional portion, one more portion than your brothers. And why would he be doing that? Because he's treating J, uh, J, uh, Joseph as the firstborn. The firstborn receives a double portion not a portion equal to the brothers. So he's recognizing that was the intent of Jacob. If you remember, he made the multicolored cloak. He showed favoritism. He was treating him as the firstborn because he was the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. And now he's giving the inheritance of the firstborn to Joseph and acknowledging that before it. Now, what follows in chapter 49 is that all of the brothers are now going to be summoned and to receive individual blessings uh, from uh, Jacob. And this is what's going to bring our book basically to a close, is all of the specific blessings that are given to the specific tribes. Um, it's uh, interesting, I think, to note. Let me see if I, let me check here. I want to mention two of the two of the blessings here in the course of my teaching uh, with you this evening. Uh, the one on Judah and the one on Joseph. Because part of the blessing that comes out of this, and there's books been written on this, there's a lot of theology that's been done on this, where they refer to as Judah receiving the scepter, whereas Ephraim received the birthright. Um, and I want you to take note of these two blessings that Joseph did now, or that Jacob did. You know, we just heard... Um, Jacob put the special blessing on Joseph and upon his sons. But now we're going to see a different kind of blessing being put on Judah that's different than the one that came upon Joseph. So I want you to take note of these two different blessings. Um, he goes through all the different sons, but he gets down to Judah at verse 8. Chapter 49 and verse 8, he's speaking to Judah and he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. That's a play on his name. Did you know that the name Judah means praise? Yehuda means praise. Um, and uh, so he said, may your brothers praise you. You know, live out the meaning of your name. 
Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, he, who dares to rouse him up? I need to share a, a personal story with you. Um, and if you've heard this before, I apologize to you. Uh, but this was, there was a moment in my life that helped me to understand this verse. I was a young sailor, um, and I was stationed up in uh, Bremerton, uh, Washington for a while, and went on liberty one day with another fella, and I was, you know, wearing my white sailor outfit with another friend, and typical sailors, we wanted to do a tourist thing. We decided to go to the Tacoma Zoo. They're up in Puget Sound. Tacoma is a city just down south of Bremerton. And so we went down there and we decided to go to the zoo. You know, hey, wonderful. I think it was a Sunday afternoon or whatever. And so we're walking through the zoo. We're a couple of sailors in our white, you know, white outfits, you know. And um, off in the distance on the sidewalk, you know, there's families, little kids, you know, in strollers, moms and dads. You know, the, 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 just the Americana scene of uh, visiting the zoo. And off in the distance, we see this huge display. There's this raised up bars, uh, barrier thing there. And there's a pride of, of lions. In fact, there's one big male lion, there's a female lion, and there's a couple of cubs. I mean, it was like, you know, Kodak moment. You know what I'm saying? And so we kind of come walking up, and everybody is walking up. Everybody's gathering. Because all of a sudden, they sat forward... And they're all like looking out at us from their perch. And it was like a perfect camera thing. In fact, my, I remember my first thought was, oh man, I, I should have had a camera. If I take a picture of this, I mean, this is good enough to go on the cover of a, of a magazine or something. And it was such a, a poignant uh, picture. So we're standing there and all of us are standing there, families and children and, and things like that. And the big daddy lion would just sit there just lazily you know, kind of looking around, you know. All of a sudden, decides to stand. So you could see him kind of lift himself up, and you could see how muscular his legs and, and upper body was, and he kind of stands up tall. And then all of a sudden, if you've seen that thing from Metro Golden Mayor, where he goes, does one of those. Now, instantly, children, mothers, and other youngsters are immediately cringing and trying to flee as quickly as they can. They are frightened half out of their wits. Me, I'm a man. I know I can't run. I would look like a coward. <laughs> but that did not prevent me from trembling, and my eyes teared up where I couldn't see. I was so afraid. I didn't run. I remembered it. I had to breathe several times, and I looked over at my friend who was standing there, and we looked at each other, and he had tears in his face, and I had tears in my face, and I said, I guess that's the reason why they call him the king of the beasts, because there isn't any question about that. You know. When I read this scripture about this blessing that was put upon Judah, Basically, what Jacob has said to him, he says, Judah, as compared to your other brothers, I want you to be like a lion. 
and God save the guy that rouses you up and gets you to stand up, that, that pokes at you or irritates you. Because essentially what I'm going to have you do is I'm not going to have you run a flanking motion on them. I'm going to have you come nose to nose with the enemy and you're going to grab him by the throat. And so like with the, uh, uh, this is part of the teaching, the training in the United States Marine Corps. You know, they teach them tactics and all that, but they also teach them how to run on a beach right straight at the enemy to get right in the enemy's face right now and to use, uh, to, 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 to hit them so fast and so hard right up front that they, they can't defend themselves so that they can secure a victory. And that's the same way that Judah was being called upon. He said, in a sense, if I could use the modern vernacular, I want you to be the Marines. Of all the tribes of Israel, of all the armies of Israel, I want you to be the Marines. You're the guys that go in first. You're the guys that go right at them. You're the vanguard force. You don't run flanks on them. You don't try to sneak around. You just go right at the enemy and you get right in their face right now and choke them. And the scene that in my mind that, that I've seen like the lion is when you get them into the, you know, the, into the clutches, you get up real close to them so you can see the pores in their, their nose and you can see all the different colors in their eyes when you take them on. You know, that you're that close and you're dealing with the enemy in that way. Judah was called upon to do that. And the history of Israel, the history of Israel, is that the tribe of Judah, when it came to warfare and combat, was the main vanguard force in all of the battles, historically, of Israel dealing with the enemies. The other tribes help out the, and, and do all of their things. Ephraimites became excellent archers. The Benjamites used to work with Judah, and they would be the flanking element as Judah would go into the vanguard force. They would work in a coordinated fashion. The other tribes would take up the other position, but Judah specifically would be usually charged with being the vanguard force, the major generals. This is the reason why you see it embodied in King David of the tribe of Judah, how he molded the armies of Israel and the greatest victories, military victories of Israel is under the leadership of King David. Saul, if you recall, I believe was a Benjamite. And so he could work with Judah very closely because Judah and Benjamin have this affinity for one another. Judah stood up for Benjamin, if you recall, before Joseph. And Judah was very closely linked with Judah in their tribal lands. But Judah is given specifically this authority in battle. And ultimately it leads to that the kings of Israel would come from the tribe of Judah. Specifically, verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. In other words, it's specifically making reference to that Judah will find themselves in charge of the nation of Israel until the Messiah comes. Well, the Messiah, you know, is of the tribe of Judah, so it only fits that this blessing extended to Judah is part of the blessing associated with the Messiah. It's part of the messianic picture. And that's the reason why King David is, uh, and the covenant God made with King David is we call a very powerful messianic covenant. The kingship of the Messiah is pictured 
for us in the stories of King David, war as a warrior king. Um, there's, a, there's a little ditty uh, on a little image passing around on Facebook right now. I don't know if you may have seen it. I saw it. I passed it on where I was. It, it shows an up-close view of a lion. All you get to see is this right eye and just the right side of his face. And it just has a very simple thing. It just says, he's not a baby in a manger anymore. I thought that was a very appropriate thing for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. He's a lion, and he's a king. He's not soft and docile like a baby or lamb anymore. As you all know, um, my ministry, um, Lion and Lamb Ministries, let me give you a little background of why I selected that as the name of the ministry. Um... I wanted to emphasize the lion part. I don't want to emphasize that. The, the, the Messiah has the testimony of being the Lamb of God. No question about it. We, we teach that. But I wanted to emphasize he's the lion part. The next time we see him, he's the lion. And if you go on my site, he he, you know, there's a little saying in there that says, he came first as a lamb, now he comes as a lion. That the next time we see him, he's a lion. He's not a lamb anymore. And that that would evoke, um, you know, a different response from us. Um, and that's a classic example going back to the Christmas thing. We need to stop thinking of the Messiah as a baby in a manger. That is a mis-message. I can assure you that the order of the day, the agenda of the day with God, is him coming as a lion. Not, not birth, what he's coming to do called the day of the Lord. That is the agenda of the day. And that should be the focus of our teaching and our anticipation uh, with regard to our faith toward the Messiah. The, uh, and so that picture of the lion thing, uh, you know, that, that's what I was looking for. Secondly, there is a misnomer about future things. That I'm sure you've heard this, that the kingdom is when the, uh, the lamb lays down with the lion. You've heard that. In fact, all the imagery of the lion and the lamb, it's talking about the messianic kingdom. Everybody says, hey, you know, the, that's when the lamb lays down with the lion and, and so forth. That is not what the scripture says. And that's a misnomer. It's a very typical misunderstanding of what the prophecy says. What the actual prophecy says is the lamb lays down with the wolf, that the calf lays down with the lion. That's what it actually says. And rather than it being a picture, Isaiah's picture of wonderful harmony, how everything is at peace. By the way, that's part of it too. But there's a very powerful symbology of the calf with the lion. Why? Guess what the symbol for Ephraim is? A calf. Joseph is the bull. <coughs> Ephraim is the calf of the bull that grows into the bull. It's really the bull and the lion together. It's Ephraim and Judah together. That's what the kingdom is about. The unification of the two of them. That, and so there's a lot more teaching to that in those symbology than people have recognized. So when I chose the ministry of Lion and Lamb Ministries, one, I knew about this blessing for Judah. I relate to it a little bit. And there's some people who think I act like a lion. 
but I'm really just a I'm really just a pussycat, really. And um, uh, <laughs> the uh, but I wanted to emphasize those teachings. I wanted to bring out that symbology in that regard. So that was this blessing actually is part of and the understanding of those things is part of the reason why I named the ministry Lion Lamb Ministries uh, to carry those messages and be part of that teaching. Okay, so that is the the blessing that has to do with uh, specifically um, Judah and so forth. But now I want to show you the one about Joseph, and this ties directly into Ephraim. This is over in verse 22. It says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. By the way, you know what the name Ephraim means? Ephraim actually means fruitful and bountiful. And so when it says Joseph is a fruitful bough, you could substitute the name Ephraim right there. And it means exactly that. Ephraim is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a string. That's exactly what the name Ephraim means. Okay? What does Joseph actually mean? It means add to me. Multiply me. Increase me. That's what Joseph means. But Ephraim actually is the meaning of the definitions given here. So Joseph and Ephraim are interchanged in this blessing. Joseph, uh, Jacob is still putting the blessing on Ephraim, but he's recognizing Joseph as being the father of Ephraim. Uh, verse 23, the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained firm and his arms were agile. Did I not tell you historically that Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, were known for being the great archers of, of Israel? There's the blessing, that that would be their skill set. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, from the God of your father who helps you and by the almighty who blesses you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that it lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head, the one distinguished among his brothers. And that second reference there, and on the crown of the one distinguished among his brothers, that's a reference to the Messiah's relationship to him. And on the one who's distinguished among his brothers, the Messiah, that there would be a, this special relationship between Ephraim and the Messiah. That the blessing, the birthright blessing is upon Ephraim, but it's the same one that is on the Messiah uh, that ties into it. But let me go back to verse... Um, part of verse 24 and verse 25 that it says again it's Jacob does this where's the blessing coming from from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob who would that be let's 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 uh, do a little midrash here who would be the mighty one of Jacob who who just right off the top who do we think we're talking about almighty God El Shaddai okay God the father he's the mighty one of Jacob and from the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Who would that be? That's the Messiah. The Messiah, the good shepherd. And by the way, the stone of Israel, that's very interesting. Uh, the Hebrew word for stone is eben. Eben, if I pronounce it out by the syllables. Eben is a, comp uh, it's a compound Hebrew word. Av, father, and ben, Son. Father and son together makes the word eben, which makes the word stone. Uh, 
And basically what he's saying here, the relationship between the Father, the Heavenly Father, and the Son of God is so tight, so unified, that it's like a stone. Now, if you take a stone and you try to break it apart, you know what you end up with? Two stones. Because you can never separate out the off part from the bend part. You just, you make more stones. You don't make, you don't, you don't divide the stone. You can't. And so he's describing that the shepherd, who will be the son, is the stone of Israel. That it was this unique relationship between the father and son. Now, get the picture now. This is Jacob the father putting the blessing on his son, and they're unified at this point. And Joseph is the messianic picture amongst the, the, the different sons. From the God of your father who helps you, who is the helper of, of all the parts of God? Who do we call the helper? The Holy Spirit. So guess what he's just rattled off for you here in the Tanakh? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is where the blessing is coming from. It's coming from the Father, coming from the Son, coming from the Holy Spirit. And by Almighty who blesses you. The Almighty who blesses you. In other words, the whole sum and total of Almighty God. Al Shaddai. All the parts. The blessings coming from him upon uh, Joseph, upon Ephraim at this point. That is very unique. By the way, that one little passage right there is one of the most, from a, from a theological standpoint, one of the most powerful segments you can find in Scripture that lays out the parts of God. Jacob delineates the blessings that come from all three parts of God and summarizes it. It's all mighty God. Unified. So you might want to mark that in your Bible. It's an excellent uh, reference for that discussion. All right. The blessings that he puts on um, uh, his sons results in uh, Joseph now falls asleep. He passes away. And the conclusion comes to Jacob's life, the blessing he had. The only thing that we have further in this passage is, is that we have this very interesting interchange between Joseph and his brothers. Um, I want to mention to you, it's the, the last chapter in verse 15 where it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. That's an interesting thing. By the way, there's absolutely no evidence that Jacob ever did that. This is a complete fabrication by the brothers. They're fearful that Joseph, now that Jacob is gone, is going to now retaliate for all that's taken place. And so they know that his relationship with Jacob, the father, was so powerful and so strong that if Jacob had left a statement to that effect in his will, that Joseph would have done it. Joseph has sworn to do whatever his father had said. And so they wanted to exploit that. They wanted to use that. When in truth of fact, there's no evidence that that was ever done by Jacob at all. 
And the reason why it says that Joseph wept is because despite his very best efforts of being a blessing to his brothers, his brothers still don't get it. They don't get what God did through his life, sending him ahead to preserve life for them, and, and that the whole intent of everything that had transpired was so that God could preserve them. Now, they did it for evil, but God was doing it for good. And as I shared with you uh, before in the previous portion, when men think that things happen providentially instead of that God is leading you by the Holy Spirit, you get confused about what people's motives are and their intents. If you're walking in the Spirit, one of the things the Spirit gives you is the ability to discern and see things without your eyes, to hear things without your ears, to understand things that even your imagination can't come up with, especially when it comes to your interpersonal relationships. They're not walking in the Spirit of the Lord. They're walking providentially, you know, out. But Joseph is in the Spirit of the Lord. And in the same way that Joseph saw his brothers don't get it yet, he wept for them. By the way, this is the same thing that Yeshua did just before he did the work of redemption and he looked upon Jerusalem and he wept. They don't get it. They don't get it yet. You and I, as believers of the Messiah, understanding these things, we get it. We see God's intent. We see his heart. We see how it fits in, in, into us. We see how his heart extends even to us. And we see it's too bad that others can't quite see what we see or quite, can't quite hear what we hear or understand quite what we understand. Because if they did, it would be so much better for them, wouldn't it? It would be so much better for them. But they're like the brothers of Joseph. They still can't quite get it. And thus, as we conclude with the book of Genesis, guess what? The rest of the scripture goes through. These are the state of affairs. This is the family. This is what it's about. This is what God's going to be working with. This is who we are. And thus, we press on. Amen? Amen. So, having completed the book of Genesis, strength, strength, let us be strengthened. Amen? As we continue in our study of Torah. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for... Thank you for being you. Thank you for the incredible and wonderful teachings and stories that we get from the Torah, especially the book of Genesis, about our fathers and the blessings that you want to extend to us. We thank you, O oh God, for all of this. And we thank you that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom and to be your servants. We ask, Lord, that you would look down with... Um, grace and mercy upon us. Strengthen us where we're weak in our faith. Keep us on the right track. Give us a clear spiritual eye to see, to see your ways so that we can walk in your ways. I thank you for B'nai Shalom. I thank you for this assembly and all the people that are part of this broadcast. I ask, Lord, on this Sabbath, would you pour out a blessing on my brethren encourage them, heal them where they need to be healed, strengthen them where they need to be strengthened, and help them to meet the, the need for resources they may need uh, for their homes and their families. And we'll remember to thank you and praise you for that. Thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.
you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.